You want to do any filler blooper type stuff before we start? <laughs> all out of all out of content for all today. A lot of juice. <laughs> Completely all out of juice. My mistake for playing basketball for three hours in the sun. That'll do it to you. Yeah. You're listening to the SpyFi After Dark podcast. Welcome to SpyFi After Dark. I'm joined by my very good friend Alex. Say hello. What's going on? Um. So I figured we'd just do a get into our backstory a little bit. Sounds good. And by the way, to the audience, this is take two. He actually invited me. Uh, That's true. Two weeks ago. Three weeks ago. Mm, two weeks ago. Yeah, three uh, two no, weeks ago. Might even be less than that. Right, and unfortunately, uh, hard drive yeah. fucked it up. Yeah, <laughs> corrupted it. This is my second chance. Yeah, yeah. So we brought this up. Uh, this being the origin story um, about our friendship. You know, with uh, I think episode three when we had the um, the OG triage. Yeah. Mill and Frank and I were the OGs. Yeah, we're uh, introducing ourselves, and w- we tapped into um, just our experiences at ASU. Uh, the three of us are are local. Uh, yeah, I actually met Millen, um in the Honors College playing ping pong. Uh, he and I both, you know, love to play ping pong. It's a lot of fun. It's incredibly. Uh, accessible for all ages which is nice um and weights that's right not that's to be right underestimated. yeah there's there's not really an athletic threshold regarding like your capability to play i mean mm-hmm. otherwise i would suck uh, hey i mean i, I wasn't gonna say it no <laughs> no uh, i mean injury i you know millen millen was a little little heavier uh despite being pretty good at ping pong um still am by the way yeah he he i mean he can really hold his own and then I actually had uh, recurring like injuries, so that put me out of business when it came to like basketball and tennis and volleyball and things like that. But mm-hmm. ping pong was always like an easy go to. Yeah. So he I mean, had you still kicked my ass. So <laughs> either way. Yeah, but you were athleticism. Be damned. You were like the best protege. So to the yeah. audience, he he's got a he's got a sense of spin, and to the audience, and we ain't talking news media. Yeah. <laughs> if you. If you haven't taken ping pong seriously, it just means you haven't been exposed to good ping pong. Like, I, I mean, we'd burn like hella calories. Yeah, like 2,000 calories an hour. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So, I mean, he and I, you know, built a relationship just on that commonality. I mean, I love to play. Uh, I worked also in a coffee shop and actually being a barista was, was pretty nice. I mean, even though it was a pretty simple, like low paying uh, when you job. Get, when you get paid to do your homework. So. Exactly. Uh, it was a... Very, very easy job. I worked, you know, for a coffee shop that was in the Barrett Honors College. It had very, very low traffic. It spiked to, like, low, moderate traffic. So I always had downtime to get work done. You know, this was this was during my senior year when I had uh, Capstone, which was, a you know, like a design course. And my major is biomedical engineering. So a lot of busy work. And thankfully, I had, I had that kind of job which gave me an opportunity to even you know bring friends to the coffee shop and we could 
knock deliverables out like together. And I also met a lot of, you know, friends working at that coffee shop just because of the nature of being a barista and, and Millen even would come by. Um, well, we, we met with ping pong, right? But we became friends at that coffee shop, right? They were just adjacent to each other. I mean, the, this, this, uh, this conference college is pretty small. Um, yeah, regarding the two activities were right next right, to each other. Right next to so that, that was pretty awesome. I mean, we would set up shop, um, you know, bang out homework or whatever, and then we could always play pool or ping pong, you know, 20 feet away. And I, I built a little community there, you know, just re- having the same recurring, like, regulars and friends that would come in. I mean, Milton and I would, you know, we'd talk, hang out, you know, uh, be among, like, friends and just get whatever we need to get done. And it became like a like a really nice space for everyone to just chill and at the same time potentially be productive, um, you know, uh, de-stress on um, on downtime, et cetera. So if you didn't want to be cooped up in your, in your dorm, but at the same time, if you had, you know, that, that urge to just hang out with people or if you just had, you know, had a ton of work due and needed just a crunch time. I mean, it, everything, everything was there in Barrett. So that was nice. And it, it kept people, it, it kept keep people coming back. So, um, yeah, he and I met there. We met other friends built, you know, built a social group there. It was, it was really nice. So I told some of this story with the episode with Chris from my perspective, what I remember of it anyway. Right. What do you remember of that that day that I came down? I had just done an all-nighter. You made me coffee, and we talked for like three hours. I I do remember that day um, when you and I were. That was co- the, the day. It, but that's the right, day as far as I'm right. concerned. I do remember, um, if I'm not mistaken, you can correct me if I'm wrong. If I'm not mistaken, like I actually... Uh, came out from my side, the barista side, and like sat with you. I don't think so. Wasn't that the day we where we were making the backdoor jokes and the I'm guard pretty sure jokes? You were, I'm pretty sure it was across the counter, but it was on the other side. It was on the side where you deliver the drinks. So there's nothing in the way. Right, right. I thought at one point, I mean, there was obviously that interaction. I thought you might I was, have at one point. Yeah. I don't remember that, that, but. That's what I remember if that was that you day. You typically have a better memory than I do, so. That's not always true. For events, let's say. Maybe. But um for like facts and figures and Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I story. Fair enough. I mean, that's what I remember, like uh, you know, just the one liners and the jokes. Oh, yeah, I remember K Y O D. Yeah. Smooth Drias. E U L A. E U L A. Oh my goodness. Um Getting past the guards. Yeah. This guy like blew me away, right? It's just Quiet, introverted, shy, you know, graphic design major mm-hmm. kid in Barrett. I'm like, who is this guy? I right? wasn't even at that point. I was still comp sci. Were you a comp sci? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then all, all you got to do is take away my sleep and I become a different person. <laughs> and I mean, who would have thought like this kid, uh, you know, would have so many different hobbies and passions at his age, you know, because I mean, not to not to be derogatory, but. At a you know at the age of 18, 19 years old, you know at, in, in this generation, I mean, how how often do you come across someone that has hobbies and passions and expertise that are really outside the the realm of sports, 
clubs through, you know, schooling and academia, meaning that like, you know, when I, when I met Millen, he had, um, a few games he had already developed. He had a couple others that he was developing at the time. Um, and he also like dipped into, um, just game design all around, right? I mean, you had like that on the side and it was, I mean, I just, I hadn't, I hadn't seen that before um, because he had all these different creative passions. And then at the same time, like he was doing things that were somewhat relevant to that. I mean, for schooling, but at the same time, I mean, I would imagine it'd be, it would be difficult to, to do what you, what you did um, concurrently with school. It was so difficult that I stopped doing it. Right. I mean, I mean, developing, you know, simple games and also creating kind of a game that you would take to, uh, what was that event that you took wake up call to? Or was it not wake up call? I don't, didn't take a wake up call anywhere. I, thought, I didn't, I didn't go to any events like that. I thought you shared something at, or you presented wake up call or something at an event. I thought you told me you, I just don't remember. I don't think so. Maybe not. Well, needless to say, Millen created um, a game universe, his own universe with a couple of friends. and uh, Or maybe it was Silent Echo, actually. That Probably that. Okay, so... And or, that, or Leviathan, maybe. Right, and that's a sh- those are short films? Yeah. Okay, so... But those weren't mine. I just worked on them. Okay, so you also worked on some short films. And that... See, my, my, see what I was thinking. Well, one pilot... Two short films. Yeah, what I was thinking was semi-coherent. So game design would have still been somewhat relevant to his academia, but he also was diving in to uh, like short films and production. And he has like a high interest in, in, in cinema production, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, pretty cool stuff. I mean, I didn't... I have ex- a lot of interests. Yeah, I didn't expect this to, to meet someone um, that really had that kind of all around like creative interest in, in media um, at ASU at his age. So yeah. And that for w- context for the audience, we have a four and a half year age gap. Yeah. Roughly. Yeah. So I met him as a senior year and his senior year and I was a freshman. Right. Well, it was your super senior year. Super senior. Yeah. I got screwed at ASU. <laughs> Thankfully I was able to capitalize and in my opinion, um, Kind of turn that res- that extra year into. You're doing it again. Oh, what turning? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was able to turn that like fifth year into just a grad heavy um, thread of of like. Was it really that relevant though? No, I mean it would have been relevant depending on where I wanted to go. So that fifth year, I pretty much had to, by consequence of some technicalities in my in my curriculum some changes that happened like interim um i ended up having the ability to take these courses that could either be treated as 400 level or 500 level depending on um what your what your path was because our um our college actually offered something called a four plus one where you could actually uh get your master's in in five years uh, and so these co- these courses that could be treated as either or um, could uh, support students on that path versus just grad students in general versus undergrad uh, students who just wanted to take these classes but maybe weren't you know on, on that four plus one path. I took those classes 
and then did the extra work just to treat them as grad level courses for my own sake. Um, it was kind of like a, unfortunately it was a sunk cost, like fallacious way of thinking, but I'm like, you know what? I'm in fifth year. Like, why not kind of thing? Like, why not treat this? Like, um, did any of those classes actually count towards your master's degree? No, because I ended up getting a separate master's. Oh, okay. Not completely. But those classes ended up being on average much more memorable or excuse me, much more memorable and much more interesting than any of my undergrad classes. Like by far. Like out of, you know, the top five classes that actually interested me um, in a biomedical um, curriculum at ASU. I mean, four of them probably came from that. So four of them came from that, that super secret. And the fifth one was the capstone? I'd say the fifth one actually was uh, probably uh, um, transport phenomena, hmm. which is like an amalgamy of um, thermodynamics, um, like fluid dynamics, and uh, insert anything regarding like mass transport phenomena. So it was a cool class. I think my most memorable classes were pretty much all outside of my degree. I could see that. There was a you weren't too happy about your about your. I didn't like either degree very much, right? Um, but I also didn't know what I wanted to do at the time. I mean, like I did, but I didn't because like I knew I wanted to do at the time game design, but that wasn't realistic for. I mean, in general, but particularly for living in Phoenix. So ultimately I had to change it to something else that was realistic for living in Phoenix, which is fine. It worked out okay, but but yeah, certainly some turmoil. Probably depending years. on where you saw game design. Yeah. I mean because I'm I mean like like I, I think would have had to move to LA or San Francisco. What about game design for for education? That's that has some prevalence here, does it or not? There's there are places that make games in the valley, but it's mobile games, online Facebook games, um, corporate marketing type stuff. Mm. Uh, basically, all the stuff I'm not interested in. Okay, fair enough. <clears throat> yeah. Like, if I'm going to do game design, I'm going to do it for something I actually want to do it for. Right. So... Um, yeah, my most memorable classes, I had like a, a writing class that was outside of my degree. That was an elect, a special elective visiting professor. I might have mentioned this in the Chris podcast. Uh, that was a good class. Um, ironically, my English 102 class was pretty memorable. I took the honors version and had a really good professor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I had a game design class when I was still doing that. As a sub, it's a sub part of the degree. Um, that was memorable. And then, what else? There I mean, were be, there were a few classes in my degree that were somewhat memorable. I mean, to be honest, like, I, I, you know, the college experience is a college experience. I mean, I, I appreciate you know being able to do it and being able to afford it. Uh, and, you know, even to see ASU progress into what it was and having been a part of part of that growth, it was pretty, pretty astounding. I mean, ASU is not what it was, you know, during my freshman year. 
Um, and it really became like more and more of a real university by like my, you know, my, by my final years. Um, but I mean, with that said, I wonder how it would have been to have gone out of state. You know, I always think about that. Um, you know, the whole opportunity cost. I mean, I knew I wanted to do biomedical engineering because I was fascinated with genetics, but I hadn't done the deep and thorough research regarding ASU's biomedical program to really assess. And I probably, I mean, I didn't know then, and I probably, I don't think I could have had the faculties to know how to do this, but you know, I was interested in genetics. I was interested in tissue engineering and those like that subject matter would, would, was not, it would not be really covered with any granularity in a biomedical like undergrad, especially at ASU. ASU focuses on things like instrumentation. So like mechanical design and um, electronic design. So, I mean, did I know that? No, I didn't know what I didn't know. Would you say it's more manufacturing oriented based on the industry in Arizona? Not necessarily manufacturing oriented, just device design. Um, we do have a prevalence of manufacturing in Arizona. I, I will say that. And that's, that's because labor is cheap. Um, or can, and space. And space it's is really very, space very cheap. Is cheap. That's, that's right. Well, well, that's I, that's the price. Plus that's you the, can get some extra. That's, that's, six, that's 60 to 70% of it. But labor is also very cheap. Yeah. Um, and, you're, and you're in proximity to even cheaper labor and space being in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And on, the, on top of that, you're also in proximity to where a lot of biomedical OMs are uh, are nested that being California. So yeah. you've got well, you're also not hordes. you're also not too far from ports all things considered. It's not too hard to get to the Los Angeles port area to ship or Texas. Yeah, I mean, logistically Arizona is a good place to be regarding like business strategy. Yeah. It is. It's I don't think it's being overlooked the way it had been in yeah. the past. So that's why we see a lot of the growth here. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm talking just from my my uh, um, my background being you know a part of the biomedical industry. So, but yeah, it would have been kind of cool to go to like UC San Diego or something like that. Like I had an interest. I had friends that went there. I mean, I had a couple of friends that also went to uh, um, I guess DSU and things like that. Um, Did you have any other offers? I didn't actually uh, apply to anywhere outside of Arizona. Mm. My parents kind of talked me out of it. And you know what? It's your undergrad. It's not really going to make a difference. Uh, most likely, you're going to have to pursue a master's if you're going to actually pursue engineering mm-hmm. and take it seriously. And they were really goading me to, to, to be pre-med and to pursue like medical school, which I didn't do, obviously. Yeah. Um, they told me, hey, if you're going to like try to... Um, if you're going to try to do biomedical engineering, just focus on attaining internships that matter, uh, networking, getting with the right people, right? It's actually good advice. It's substantial advice, right? And not to hyper-invest in the name for your undergrad. And which is, which is that was actually ahead of the time kind of advice, right? Mm-hmm. And it made sense. And it still makes sense today. It's still relevant today. Um, with that said, though, I still wonder what my experiences would have been like, right, going somewhere else. I think we all do. But I'm obviously grateful. I mean, I, I got to go to like a very, very large Camp, like campus like ASU, which had a ton of amenities. I met a ton of people. I, I, I do think I had the college experience 
was a lot of fun. I still, you know, to this day, um, have friends that, that I, that I met and, you know, um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, overall, like almost no regrets. So I am who I am today because of, uh, you know, partly because of my college experience. So Mm -hmm. we met, yeah, we, I mean, I think, I think I missed out on a lot of the college experience, but I got a good chunk of it. How, why do you say that? Because I didn't really do much of the partying and meeting people type stuff. Well, I met people more through mutual friends. Fair enough. In college. Fair enough. I, okay. I don't think that one needs to party to actually say that they, they touched on the college experience. It's not, for me, it's actually not even really about the partying part. It's about the fact that you'd meet people there. Exactly. Yes. Meeting people. Like, cause I wouldn't have gone and drank a whole bunch or anything like that. Cause right. it's just not me, but in a hindsight, I wish I would have ingrained myself a little bit further into that just for the sake of meeting more people. Exactly. It's a medium, right? Like, uh, I mean, some people party to party, but to your point, I think I party to make friends. I think, but I, and I don't, I don't think that's uncommon. Yeah. I party to make friends. You yeah. Know? So based on how you've described it to me, that's certainly right. You're in your mid twenties, you know, I'm approaching, um, 30 now. Um, I think you and I can agree that it's not as easy to meet people as it may have been. Right. Yes. Right. Okay. hundred percent. Yeah. You got, you're in that like no man's land when you're in your mid twenties. Um, it's easier to, to, you know, meet people at work. It's um, easier as an adult than people think it is, but it's not easy. Okay. Like there are actually a lot of avenues to meet people. Right. But they all take work. You just have a little bit of resourcefulness. They all take work. Yeah. Well, I mean, it takes work in college too. I don't. Maybe it's a little different. The, it, true. This is behavior. This is this is based on a behavior bias too. You're, I mean, you and I are very different. Mm-hmm. But I mean, would you say it's? I mean, the, are are those even like comparable? Like what it takes to meet people in college versus now. The advantage of college is that you're already in the same place. That's right. That's right. So. The I think the biggest difficulty is finding the places to be yeah. once you're an adult. But after that, it's still easier in college because people don't have as many like guards up because mm-hmm. they haven't been like made cynical by the world yet. Right. But um. But I think if you approach it right, people are still are still fairly approachable. No, I, I, become adults. I, I will make the argument that as you get older, you're more likely to, to your point, have guards up and really filter out slash develop acceptance criteria for people that you, that you, mm-hmm. that you want to make friends with. I mean, for instance, in college, let's just say you and I met at 3am and we talked for three hours that wouldn't be... It would never happen as adults. Right, because yeah. it wouldn't be irresponsible. It's not irresponsible in college. True. Well, I it's, mean, it is, but there's no really no consequence. So it's not irresponsible. True. You yeah. know what I mean? I, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's... it's cons- that. I mean, if you and I want to hang out even till I don't know, 1 a.m. on a Tuesday, I mean, we're going to... some consequences. Right, and we're, we've known each other for f- over five years, and there's still that that aspect it's it's but you're and, and you know you work you have a pretty nice schedule 
I mean, you you have a somewhat flexible schedule. I have right? a predictable schedule. Imagine if you didn't do software development. Mm-hmm. And let's just say you worked... Seven to seven. Right. It's actually exactly what I was thinking. Kind of <laughs> weird. Because you have to look at it, you know, even nine outside of nine. Your, right. Seven to seven, let's just say. Uh-huh. Imagine trying to meet people. Let's just say you gym or you... No, nah, that'd be pretty tough. Yeah. It's difficult, man. It's very difficult. But to your point, the, there are avenues out there and one must be resourceful to look into that and really find out what they can do versus just complaining like you're right like if you want to meet people there are people and there are people that want to meet people so you're right i mean yeah they're waiting to be met yeah friendships are waiting to be met true so that's true yeah so if you could do it again the college experience Mm. would you really make many changes assuming I would still go to ASU. Yeah. Uh, I would have liked to have been on campus. You know what I mean? Like I had some. It's one of the things I would have liked to. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I was for a year. I would like to do it longer. Right. I would have liked to have not, you know, not make my living situations as sketchy as they were for four or five <laughs> years. I mean, <laughs> I mean, to the audience, uh, uh, you don't even want to know. Yeah, I was an honorary member of Input, like eighty percent of, you know, the <laughs> dorm complexes on campus. I mean, I I lived in so many different dorms. I, I mean, I, I squatted from you know sofa to sofa, from bed underside to bed underside. I mean, I, I even rented out like <laughs> dorms. I didn't even like. You basically I didn't negotiated li- vacancies without talking to the landlords. That's right. I mean, and that was like a, a side hustle, um, to say the least. But hey, you got to do what you got to do. And I can't imagine how expensive it would be now. I mean, this was back in like, you know, 2009 to, to 2014. Like, well, even even when I went there, it was like room and board combined was like 11000 a semester or something like that. I yeah. think. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, I remember like coming out of high school, right? I had, you got presidential, provost, and you got the aims. Presidential, 9K, right? Provost, 7,500. 7, aims, 6K. And the 6K, I will, we'll just say the, the presidential and provost were whatever. They're flat. The aims uh, was tailored to uh, base tuition. Right, so the other two were more difficult to attain. Uh, so the merit based for the provost and presidential was just overall academics and um, you know extracurricular activities and things like that. So to be a, a candidate for those uh, would require more than to just do well on the AIMS uh, test. And they, this, the AIMS to the odds was just you know standard state test that. Uh, we took, I think, sophomore, junior year, something like that in high school. And I think it was broken out into three branches, like math, reading, writing, something else. Long story short, if you if you like exceeded uh, state standards in all three, um, you could you know you you could apply for the, the AIM scholarship, um, something like that. There was probably some like base requirement for grades too. But anyway, you know you, you get this AIM, you're like, all right, cool, like base tuition, you know, minus like <laughs> the th- like 155 like back end costs that ASU attack right a semester. You got that covered, right? Cool. That's like 
85 to 90 percent of your costs for you know a semester assuming you don't get screwed by books depending on you know your curriculum and the you know, uh, parking even on campus a nightmare blah, 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 whatever but but after even a couple of years with the tuition slowly creeping up and up you know year uh, um, annually we had I, I experienced a situation where I think it was either my third it was my seventh or eighth semester the uh the provost scholarship uh was actually offering less than the aims because the aim scholarship was tied directly to baseline tuition so tuition ended up spiking from you know the 6k um to more than 7500 um thankfully i had the presidential but just you know is that annually um, annually? I think that was annually. It's 12K now. Yeah. And that's not taking any summer classes. Right. Yeah, fuck. You know, ASU is still very cheap, though. That's the scary part. I know. Like, I, I, I remember when I was a freshman going to ASU, and I was just, I was not happy about going to ASU. I'm like, oh, I'm settling. I'm doing this for my parents' sake. Like, you know, I'd be cool to, like, go out of state. You well, know? you were. Yeah, wouldn't it be, you know, be cool to go to like stay, you know, school in Cali and all that kind of thing? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're 18 years old, you're parting it up. Like, why wouldn't that be? And, and it just so happens that schools in Cali had all of these really nice like STEM programs. Like, oh, like, you, you know, UCSD, for instance, was like number three or four in biomedical engineering. And, you know, like Polytech was, you know, X and Y and like with, you know, mathematics and computational science. And a lot of that, like, a lot of that was there and then everything else was there. So it's like you can't deny how awesome it could be to go to these schools, assuming you wouldn't have to like sell, you know, three or four kidneys and half your stomach for for like two semesters. Um, but, but, excuse me, you know, I mean, so true. It's ridiculous. But, uh, but yeah. Well, the only other schools that I had offers to go to were in North um, New York. I think you brought this up to me yeah. before. Uh, and they would have actually been game design programs. If I could do it all again, though, assuming I didn't try to get into any other schools, mm-hmm. um, and I just stuck with ASU, I would have stayed in computer science. I would have treated it seriously. I would have tried to become an RA on campus, CA actually for us, uh, so that I could get free room and board. Because otherwise, that just fucks you. I'd live on campus all four years if I was a CA. Um, and I'd probably go for a four plus one, and just really milk it. And then I would have treated my time outside of class more seriously too I would have um, I would have played less video games watched less movies and I would have tried to meet more people and work more seriously on the games I was doing it's basically just efficiency like, yeah you would yeah and you know what to be honest I'm not being like I'm not being fully truthful and now that you kind of gave me that, you know, um, that that uh, um, sense of regret coming from you, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> sorry guys, you know, 
I have there's, to. There's a little bit of. Well, I have. I sympathize. Like you, you and I, you and I share that. Like it's definitely commonality. Look, I I sought indulgence like a motherfucker in college. Mm-hmm. It hasn't really changed. It's just not to the same magnitude. For instance, sleep deprivation. Holy shit. Now, I don't have to go into why this started, but let's just say it started at 18. Not quite as young as Chris, but yes, like I was clocking about an hour and a half to two hours. No exaggeration a night. And then what would happen is every Saturday or Sunday, I would sleep 18 hours. And then rinse and repeat. Okay. I thought that was cool because I thought that I was special because I could get away with this, right? But at the same time, I couldn't focus in class. And I stopped going to class. I lacked productivity like a, like a fucking idiot and was just kind of floating through space during the day and I would turn on and amp up and become alive at night. Well, the problem about that is so many things tied to one's you know career path in college and just overall development aren't available or just aren't a part of the night. So yeah, I got to like hang out with friends and do all these things like on a nightly basis. Like I would be hanging out with friends till four or 5 a.m. literally every night. Yeah. Like literally every single night. Like I'd go out all of the time. I was there a number of those times. Right. And I was doing that even beforehand. Yep. So imagine. I think it was probably even worse before I met Way you. worse. And that's pure indulgence. You know what I mean? Because I met you as you were like getting tired of it. Exactly. Um, and I missed out on so much. I mean, if I go back, first of all, <clears throat> I worked to Peter Jungle when I was like 18 years old. And the reason why I did it was actually because I wanted it to be a means to an end to save up money because I had this plan to transfer to UC San Diego. Um it was kind of a flow chart plan. Hey, I got to do this to become a server. And then when I become a server, I can work Thursday nights and Friday nights specifically because of prime time. And I knew, you know, the owner of Peter jungle and I wanted those times. And I was trying to like work around and figure out how I could essentially reserve those hours once I became a server, because I can make, you know, anywhere from 150 to 250, you know, a night kind of thing. And that was like bougie money for an 18 year old. And I was thinking, okay, if I do this for like a semester, I can save up X and Y. And then like I could pay for, um, you know, I could pay for this and that and this, and then like go hang out with my friends, you know, in San Diego. And then, um, you know, if I want to finally make that jump, I can make that jump. And so I had like, good thing that fell apart. Right. So I had a lot of these weird, irrational reservations in Cali. And then like, I also ended up not being able to uh, make that jump um, and, and transfer mainly because I found out that like I needed at least 60 credits to transfer to a UC school from ASU. And I didn't take as many AP classes. As you. And by not yeah. as many, I mean like almost none. Yeah. And on top of it, uh, after doing like a gap assessment, if you will, of both programs, I would have lost a lot of credits. So I'm like, I'm not going to wait just to lose it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't love college that much. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's that. Um, to your point, I, I wish I was more efficient. I mean, I will say that regarding video games, I mean, you and I, uh, you and I diverge when it comes to video games. I played a lot of fighting games, a mm-hmm. lot, a lot. You didn't, um, 
I probably would have also toned it down with like Super Smash Brothers and shit like that. Cause like <laughs> I'd play for like fucking four or five hours. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, so I would have toned down video games as well. I would have uh, been like going for internships at like Google and shit. On the real. They yeah. were there on the table. And you don't know what I'm you don't so, know. I'm so fucking stupid. Like, right. Like I wish I, I I fucking, you know, spent my time and actually tried learning some stuff. I could have I could have literally made like twenty grand over the summer for two summers. That's right. That's right. I had friends that were that were making those kind of moves. And I thought it was impossible. And, you know, I would have opportunities and it would blow it as well. Like I was, you know, I was an RA. Um, I had. I you had, were? Oh, yeah, you were, but it was for like a sketch building. Yes. I had an opportunity to be an RA for Vista and I dropped the ball on that. And Vista is that. So, really? Yeah. So to the audience. Oh, like, dude. Talk about regret, man. Yes. So RA as you in. You ended like, up living there anyway, but. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as an RA. <laughs> as a URA. <laughs> Unofficial. Wow. Residential assistant. <laughs> but uh yeah, to the audience, um, you know, I think this is this is a general thing for campuses, I would assume, but like an RA or like a residential uh assistant would be like a student that would you know, support their uh you know, their floor or maybe like multiple floors in some dorm complex on campus and the perk to that would be usually free room and board a stipend and then you know they wouldn't have to pay for for anything uh to live on campus and that was always very very nice it came with some work but the workload was generally manageable from what i gathered i wasn't different for me either being an ra however i was an ra for an off-site campus that wasn't tied to res life and res life kind of managed um all of the the dorm functions um, on campus, and this was like an independent. Um, this was an independent like RA kind of program that I was involved Scam with. Word. It was yeah, it, it, I mean they worked us. It actually was like a real job, and we didn't receive a stipend. It was kind of fucked up. Granted, though, it was cool to live there, and it was party central. But actually, I mean, kind of an interesting story. I moved in. <laughs> I worked really, really hard to get that RA position to like, you know, I just, I just wanted a place. I, I was done like, you know, uh, war, warming, warming people's couches. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, you know what? For like, for my own mental health and like, I don't know, any other kind of health, like insert like anything, like I should probably get my own place. Yeah. Um, so finally got this, um, this RA gig, which was off campus or off site. It was like, what is it, like a mile and a half away, something like that. Um, and uh, I signed my lease, and I get introduced to my roommates, and they're both drug dealers, <laughs> right? Both of them are like real, real talk, like oh, shit. like committed drug dealers. Here we go. And they weren't students. They, I mean, they were my age, and I didn't, I didn't. They were making the money out of the students, though. Huh? Yeah, sure. yeah. I mean, we had we had quite a lot of dedicated students come through. Yeah, we had a lot of guests. A lot that of come late through. night studying sessions. Oh yeah, and these guys were. I mean, these guys were just top notch academic scholars. I mean, they would be putting on the gas masks at like six, seven a.m. to you know tied to their. I mean, like tubed directly to their bongs. Their bongs are like. 
four feet tall. I mean, these guys were were. I mean, definitely STEM Just majors. Popping Adderalls like candy. Definitely STEM majors doing big things. STEM majors. Yeah, that's right. Wow. STEM majors. <laughs> wow. Wow. And they knew how to party. I mean, it was... And also, on top of all of that, I, it, it just so happened that Frat Row was I'd like... I'd be so stressed out, by the way, if I was in that kind of situation. I was too. I was too, because I wanted to tell the office, but I felt bad. So, like... I would. The the situation was I would was have, tugging. and I wouldn't feel bad at all. I, I was actually incredibly disappointed in the uh, the RA that that placed me there because he was aware of what they were doing. Yeah, it's fucked up. I almost feel like it was a joke because when I actually told a him he was cracking up, Yeah, and I ended up saying, hey guys, like I told them like no day one, hey, like if I if I see it, um I I'm inclined I have to, to do something. Yeah, I'm I'm inclined to disclose this. So just I don't mind, but try to try to keep it, you know, in the public space, like in the living room, et cetera, like when the shared area of this, of, you know, of this apartment, just try to try to not have it there. I mean, they're like, all right, we'll do, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll do that. And then, you know, I mean, it took like a week of grooming and I started fucking hitting shots and smoking with them. So (laughs) (laughs) no, I'm kidding. Actually, I'm not. So. Yeah, that that did happen. I mean, oh not God. the highest moments of my life, but at the same I time, they were called campus police on their asses. If I had to, do you realize that? What I said, not the highest moments of my life. At wow. the same time, you're right. I should have said something. I, you know, in hindsight, I should have said something. And I mean, I also lived below Delta Chi, so frat rows eviscerated as you as you knew. Uh, myself. Is Delta Chi a frat or a sorority? A frat. Okay. Yeah. So. They ended up, they ended up having like I think two adjacent apartments just above ours, and they'd be partying fucking every night. And between mm-hmm. what our dealings and their functions, we just had people coming in and out. It was a nightmare. And I already had issues Jesus sleeping. Christ, I already like yeah. lacked productivity. So I don't even know how I stayed like in school. I don't know. If I'm like, being just, honest, man. Yeah, yeah. Just hearing this secondhand. Oh yeah, I mean, I, uh, I mean, I really didn't take school seriously until I had to. Being meaning that, like you know, I I fell behind, and um, I just realized that I was getting older, and my my peers were slowly becoming just, just more and more qualified, if you will, for for you know, qualified in their pursuits for what they wanted to be. And, you know, comparing yourself to other people isn't always the answer for happiness, but it is a sanity check. And I'm like, yo, like maybe I need to start making moves. And I kind of have that cardinal behavior pattern where I I work in bursts. So, you know, for two years I was floating. And then that third year I'm like, oh shit, like time to catch up. And and by the fourth year I was taking like 23 credits and I, was, I had two jobs and I had my best I had my best semesters in terms of like overall grades. Mm-hmm. So I, I just kind of work like that. It's kind of been the bane and and backbone of my existence at the same time. Actually, I feel like you kind of are like that too, though. To A little me, bit. In yeah. some in some sense. What do you, for, what do you for me, my academic performance was pretty much always correlated with the amount that I actually enjoyed the class. That like, It's very straightforward. Fair. It's just like if the class was enjoyable, I'd do well. Fair enough. And if it was not, 
if it wasn't presented well, if the teacher wasn't great, I'd struggle. Right. Fair enough. And in my case, I got serious towards the end as well. Got it. Um, even though I had a, a couple decent semesters early on, um, nothing great. I never had like a 4.0 or anything. I think my best semester was like a 3.67 or something like that, maybe, or 3.7. Something in that range was my best semester. I don't think I had a four either. I think that that's along the lines of me. But I only did that once. Right. And then other than that, it was like the best ones were like 3.2, 3.3. It was a pretty big drop between that, that one. It was just a good semester. Um, but yeah, sort of towards the end, I was like, holy shit. Like I actually have to like make decisions because I'm going to be an adult here pretty soon. That's like, right. Technically already was, but like not really. The reality check slowly creeps in. And I'm like, I have to like seriously consider getting a job. Right. Like I hadn't seriously considered it until then. Yeah. And then I was like, well, there's no game design companies in Arizona. So I'm going to have to come up with something else because I don't want to move to Los Angeles. To the audience. You hear that? And that's coming from my brilliant friend here, Millen. If you are currently in college or are considering college, just understand that as fun as it may be or as fun as it sounds, at some point that reality like comes and hits you pretty fucking hard. So mm-hmm. if you're if you want to go and pursue, you know, all of the different options of academia that are out there, understand there's gotta be some kind of link between what you want to pursue and why you want to pursue it to what you foresee being available for you outside of you know, like once you step out of college, mainly talking about jobs here. So, you know, at the end of the day, people are looking to hire and there's plenty of opportunity, but you need to be able to arm yourself as a candidate walking out of college. And it's very, very difficult to survive outside of college. Yeah. My whole, my whole like ideal way to go through college for doing it again is based on, I mean, a, it's based on getting more out of college, like the college experience too. There's that aspect. I can't argue that. But the other aspect is being more serious about what I want to do after college and building more towards that in a unified fashion versus like chasing 10 different ideas and like not really committing to any of them and like flip flopping all the time until I've got like a year and a half till I'm supposed to graduate. And then I'm like, oh, fuck, what am I going to do? I will say there's some there may be some retrospective thinking slash bias coming from you because from what I remember I hear me out hear me out from mm-hmm. what I remember Millen strictly wanted to pursue like software development as a means to an end so he could later pursue his passions for you know writing get into the entertainment space etc mm-hmm. dare I say that as you progress with your current career path which was once just a means to an end you've grown somewhat of a liking into one, that career path itself, and two, just understanding that maybe it is possible to develop, you know, a flexible and efficient work schedule with things like that, which would be, you know, software design, et cetera. Yeah. And actually managing your passions. Like you really, because when you're young, you're worried. You're like, oh my God, I'm going to get a job and I'm never going to be able to like do what I want to do. And then you realize as you get older, it's like, actually. That's literally exactly what I'm getting at. It's, yeah. Yes, when I did initially switch, it was a means to an end. It still is to a large degree, but I do enjoy it. I mean, even when I switched, I enjoyed it. I didn't like be like, I hate this. You know, I wasn't there. I still enjoyed it. Yeah. It just was not the same. 
uh, it's still not the same. I definitely enjoy it more. I've grown to like it more as I do it more. Um, and I think for me, like competency is such a huge part of the equation of whether I enjoy something. So once I just got to a point where I was actually pretty competent at it, I enjoyed it a lot more. And on that note, uh, to the audience, you know, I that resonates pretty heavily with me. You don't know what you don't know, and that's I feel like that is very, very true for many, many of us. You know that on the one hand, you know, we may very well like and enjoy things that are not tied to what we're good at or you know what we have competency in. But at the same time, like once you develop competency in something, you may take you know may have a stronger liking towards it. It those those tend to they're not they're not mutually exclusive at this I mean but they can be kind of thing mm-hmm. like what you're good at what you have like competency in versus what you like thoroughly enjoy or actually like have a passion for yeah but for me too like you know that that tends to happen for me like I get like a deep fulfillment from things that I believe I have like a strong understanding of yeah so yeah definitely but, Hey guys, hope you're enjoying the episode so far. If you are, maybe consider rating or subscribing on whatever platform you're on. We'd really appreciate it. And maybe throw me some feedback on Twitter at MillinTweets. That's M-I-L-L-A-N Tweets. That's it. Short and sweet. Now back to the podcast. Like how it works. Yeah. It's the magic of post production. Yeah, the magic of post production and editing. I'm like, he is defying time. <laughs> um for for those listening, we compressed what will probably be a thirty to forty second mid roll into about five seconds. <laughs> I'll let you figure out how we did that. I felt it. Um Yeah, no, I and then the other thing for me with redoing this college experience, so to speak. Um, you know, I would be, I would be pursuing software and I'd be doing it as a means to an end to it, to an extent. Right. But the way I'd be going, like chasing down like internships at like Google or something like that, like I'd be setting myself up in a way that when I graduated, I'd go like right into a very lucrative stage of my career instead of like having to do the internship stuff. Like when I graduate, which is basically what I did even though I technically haven't graduated yet, but, um, so that would like put me a step ahead, you know, I don't know. I just, I would definitely do things very differently and I would, the big thing, actually, I think the big thing for me is I would have tried to be a CA. Yeah, it's huge. Cause it's huge. Being able to live on camp, like the first year when I did live on campus, I loved it. I loved it. It was my favorite part of the entire college experience. So managing, even though I didn't even do it well, right? But manage stress management is huge for your overall success in life, right? And being a CA, I mean, what that what that can do is that minimizes the stress of, you know, needing, needing needing funds to eat. You're on campus, so now you know getting from class to class is, I mean 
largely more accessible. I mean, it's living on campus is huge. Uh, so I think you're more likely to even attend class. And then on top of it, regarding networking, if you're, you know, if you're an RA or if you just live on campus, it's easier to meet with, you know, with, with students that have, uh, similar degrees or taking the same course, you know, courses and just being able to partner up with them and, you know, crank things out, uh, you know, be tutor, tutor kind of thing. Um, it's just a lot easier, especially, you know, in college when there's no real such thing as a curfew or bedtime. I mean, being on campus and having those like late night study sessions, like that's a pretty invaluable amenity, especially at least in engineering. And that was a huge advantage for students that lived on campus. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, not only is it easier to just grab something to eat, you know, it's, it's not only is it easier to, to make sure you're getting the class, make sure you're getting from class to class. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I mean, you're not worrying about parking, you're not dealing with all that bullshit. At the end of the day, too, whenever you feel like wanting to, I don't know, wanting to hang out with friends and, and crank some, some workout, it's there, it's done. I mean, boom. I mean, and that is an inherent amenity um and the college experience mm-hmm. uh so really dorms should be cheaper than they are there's no excuse for their cost they're not you know it doesn't cost the college that much to provide it colleges should be cheap or should be shorter it doesn't need to be four years uh, it should be designed such that you are supposed to live on campus the whole two or three years that you're there and it's completely affordable to do so. That's how it should be done because it does make such a big difference. Idealistically, I agree. It's, um, it's so, it's so valuable. Especially, yeah, I could, I could foresee like, like, uh, commuting compre- to com- college is actually very stressful. That's what I'm saying. Incredibly stressful. Yeah. It's, it's really, it really, really is. Good. And when you go to a, you know, when you go to a college like ASU, I mean, it's just, I mean, so if your college is, a little more compressed. That's a different conversation. But mm-hmm. Millen and I went to ASU. This is a very huge campus, widely spread out campus. Lots that, of traffic that operates Foot like a car. town, right? And so it's very, very difficult to to navigate and get from point A to point B if you don't live on campus. Um, it's, I mean, it's a, it's an actual, it's an actual piece of effort to be honest. I mean, for at least when it comes to me, like I ended up opting out of going to class from time to time just because I would be running late or, you know, I had trouble finding parking yeah. one day or whatever, like insert, you know, insert anything. Um, and that, 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 I'm sure that wasn't just me. So. Not to mention parking is like $800 a semester. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a kid. I'm a kid. Like I had tuition paid for and some change, but that's it. I mean, with all the books and the, and the food and the the parking, I mean, it's, it's a nightmare. Yeah. Super expensive. Money-making machine. It's even worse when you have to commute 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. And I, yeah. Which, you know, for going to Polytech, that was the case for me. Polytech is, it's not even ASU's main campus, but it's still the same size. Yeah, it's it takes up a lot of land. Like, the square footage is the same. Yeah, yeah. They are literally the same footprint. Right. But uh, it's less dense. Right. Yeah. The main campus is a lot more dense. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. There. I mean, there are definitely experiences that I really value. Yeah. Like I said, I wish I would have doubled down on it 
but it is what it is. Right. Yeah, a lot of my a lot of my individual growth came from my ASU experiences. So all I know is that I'm gonna have some really, really good advice from my kids. Yeah, I agree. Um I agree. I agree with that. And the main thing for me is if you're going to do it, do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't half-ass it. Right. So if, if they're like, eh, I don't know if I really want to go, then I just say, don't go. Unless you want to go, you don't mean go. The, you mean just to college in general? Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to do it, you should commit to it. To right. really do the best you can while you're there. And that's that holds true with most things in life. Like, if you're going to do it, you need to just do it. To give it everything you got. Granted, it is it is difficult, you know, I think for for many of us at, at, at a young age to really know what to pursue, why to pursue. You know, like, when I graduated uh, high school, like, yeah, I was interested in genetics and and, like, things of that nature. But I didn't know if my my path was set for me you know going to asu and well college is is a way to figure that stuff out yeah it's, it's a still safe, exploratory it's a safe way to do it mm-hmm. but it's also a very expensive way to do it yeah it's expensive and you know you can expensive you, in a lot of senses not just in the actual cost time. expensive in the time, time the opportunity cost right right and I mean, having that gung ho personality, I'm just saying at a young age, I feel like would would be manifested from knowing what you want to do. Like I I had an idea and I had certain interests, but I didn't actually know if you know X and Y, X being like the school and Y being the curriculum, were going to ensure that I end up being where I want to be. Also, you know, it it just so happens that 17 year old Alex doesn't really know much about. You know things like genetics and you know tissue engineering. It just sounded cool. I watched a lot of Marvel and DC oh, ship TV shows, creating right? superheroes in real life. Yeah, pretty much. That explains everything, actually. Yeah, that that's where it came from. Mm-hmm. Yep, I get it now. The transhumanism. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Sci-fi exposure. Yeah. Where else is going to come from? Definitely. Yeah, I'm definitely a transhumanist um, just in terms of ideals and philosophical discussion. Uh, that being said, I am terrified of such things like Neuralink and other technologies that are going to be here soon enough. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just the... I can't even comprehend it, to be honest. Right. Well, that's. The, I think that's 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 the part of that's, the, that's. I'm hesitant to say I'm scared of it, just because I don't really understand it. And it's so easy to be scared of something you, you don't, don't understand. understand that's just inherent. because you don't understand exactly. it. Exactly. That's inherent, right? Yeah. And I don't. I don't want to fall into that. Yeah. I want to understand it before I say I'm actually scared of it. I agree. Yeah. I shit. agree. But yeah. Well, shall we pivot to something else now? Well, I mean, we're talking about transhumanism, right? Which spurns from exposure to sci-fi. Is this just, is this just a roundabout way to get like back to Marvel? That's exactly it. 
But Marvel is just part of it, my friend. We can talk about movies. Oh, Jesus. Okay. You know, I love talking about movies. All right. Old movies. Thoughts? I don't know, Millen. What a preposterous question. Right. I don't know, Millen. What do you think about old movies? I have an equally preposterous answer. You ready for this? Mm -hmm. Old movies suck. Generally. I was waiting for a suck ass. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah, he's not really the... uh, cult classic kind of guy mm-hmm. but neither am i and we've we've talked about this but because the audience hasn't heard it we'll reiterate i think movies should be evaluated in terms of the present period i think evaluating a movie based on what it had available at the time is fine at an academic level and that's it in terms of actually evaluating how good it was, I don't think it's valid. Right, right, right. Like, I guess, are you, right, when you when you evaluate something like a movie, are you just trying to evaluate the product or are you trying to evaluate the craftsmanship slash engineering that went behind it? And then from then, it's like, are you distilling that to what was, you know, what was, resourced at the time it's like oh like i like this movie in the 80s because it was a trailblazing movie well that's great i mean we can appreciate that on like to your point like a scholarly level right but at the end of the day like how would that movie truly stand up to this movie yeah is it enjoyable to watch yeah that's all that really matters and the answer is it enjoyable to watch the the answer is generally it's a shameless no yeah. To, for most of these movies, it's shameless now. Yeah. So for context, I took a class in college. This is actually one of the most memorable classes, even though I didn't like it at all. It's memorable because I didn't like it at all. I was about to say. Um, it's called Great Screenwriters, which I think it should be renamed to Shitty Screenwriters, but that's just me. Um, basically, we watched a lot of older movies, the newest one being Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which I think was 2004. But then the newest one after that was, um, I think, no later than early 90s. And I think it was older than that. The one that I remember the next up was um, Groundhog Day, which was, I think, late 70s or something. There might have been one in between that I'm not remembering. But uh, we watched a bunch of these old movies and we're supposed to read the scripts. Spoiler alert. I didn't. Because the movies were awful. Um, with some exception, I read some parts, some parts of some of them. A few of the movies were okay. Like I ended up enjoying Eternal Sunshine was good. Um, uh, Butch Cassidy, no, not Butch Cassidy. Um, God, I don't even remember the name. There's an older, like 1960 something Western type movie about two, two cowboy friends. That was okay wasn't great. It was kind of slow at the beginning, but after we, after you got past the intro, the mid middle was decent and the ending was cool. It was fine. Uh, and then there was uh, Groundhog Day was great. I actually really liked that movie. That might be the best movie out of the whole bunch. In that class. Yeah. One of them, this is the controversial one. Get ready. Hmm. The Godfather. Right. Yeah, I know how you feel about this movie. Uh huh. So everyone, not everyone, a lot of people like this movie quite a bit. 
Um, Myself included. Mm-hmm. I think it's awful. So, not just bad, awful. Like just to be clear, like we're talking not just like in like like forgettable, not just like a five or a six. I mean like a two, like awful. So yeah, he and I, he and I really, really look at this di- this movie differently. He, I mean, I look at it and he dismisses it, but. Uh, well so like i was upset while watching it give me your top three criteria when it comes to uh, what makes a movie great for you okay um it has to be enjoyable okay don't waste my time number one's vague unfortunately but two is great um okay i can replace number one uh Okay, so don't waste my time is an important one. That's my main criticism with the movie. Okay. Um, be coherent, like consistent. And don't take me out of the experience. Okay. I like, you know, I like um, those set of criteria. I do. Regarding the enjoyability aspect i feel like you and i can obviously relate i think everyone can relate with that i feel like a movie should be enjoyable to appreciate it but that's very very subjective i mean for me for instance like um i can enjoy a movie depending on what i feel is being presented as the focus so like with with godfather in my opinion the story itself is not the focus. It sounds a little weird, but I think some of the character development is incredibly enticing because mm-hmm. I don't see it. Now, does that mean it's like the best movie of all time? No. But to see, you know, to see Al Pacino like slowly, slowly descend into darkness, and I will admit that it kind of, this story. And this development really requires the pairing of two movies, one and two. I mean, it's... See, but here's the thing. is You're talking about character development. I didn't get that out of the movie. Because it was so slow. It is very... I didn't see it. I understand. It's Like, by the time it actually happened, I, like, I'd already forgot how it was before. It's also a quiet movie. That too. I will agree with you that, like, if you... Like it's, I mean, take take ice cream, right? You're not supposed to take your spoon, like slowly dig into you know this ice cream, pull out a scoop, put the scoop in your mouth, and like actively taste and seek you know the flavor profile. The pra- the flavors are supposed to hit you like a train. You're supposed to, I mean that that's the experience of eating ice cream. It's yeah. super satisfactory, you know, super satisfactory, just wonderful, like wonderful experiences, you know. That's ice cream like you're not supposed to like wine taste it. Mhm. That's this, that's that, actually a really good analogy because I was going to say enjoying the Godfather to me is much like someone saying they enjoy tasting something that objectively tastes bad. Well, I wouldn't say objectively it tastes bad, but I mean... I'm exaggerating. True, because like coffee tastes bad to a lot of people. Exactly. 
wine might. That's what I'm getting at. It's right. Like that it's kind like, of stuff. Exactly. I Coffee, will, wine, beer. Right. Like these things don't actually taste good. Now, I will you say, can acquire a taste for it. Right. So I'm gonna, I'm actually going to agree with you. The Godfather is not an exemplary movie for movie making. Not even close. Because that would be that would that would just be blindly ignorant to say. Yeah. Like nothing about it is perfection. However, it kind of does something that you know my favorite movie does, and it investigates an aspect of a movie and just goes really really deep into it. That being character development. Now, I really enjoy No Country for Old Men. Right, that's my favorite movie. Kind of a tangent, but hear me out. No Country for Old Men doesn't really progress like a traditional movie. Um, one might even argue that it's one might even argue that it doesn't even have a climax and resolution, depending mm-hmm. on how you how you interpret the movie. But at the same time, in my opinion, the movie is very edgy in that it actually it actually contests the typical like three-act structure Mm -hmm. of storytelling in cinema and kind of proposes its own take on like heroism and you know righteousness and that kind of stuff it's pretty cool godfather i feel like isn't quite that deep um and that's why it's not in my top but i do think for its time it was it was unique and it was ambitious now i have my set of you know of top five movies at all time and they're definitely very, very different from yours. Yes. You know what I mean? Well, and here's the thing is with The Godfather, I believe you that there was a good storyline, a good sense of character development, but everything else about the movie distracted me so far away from that that I couldn't actually get that out of the movie. I understand. Like, like it's it's a language. You speak a different language than I do when it comes to, comes to these movies. Mm-hmm. So... The movie has five different people speaking to you. I don't mean the characters, but like people speaking five different languages. One of the languages being, you know, a primary aspect of the cinematic experience, like just the overall production. Then there's like, you know, the soundtrack. There is then the the primary story, you know, the the macro the macro level storyline. And mm-hmm. then language four is is about character development. Okay. You know, I'm focusing so hard on that fourth guy see and the thing is for me the director then just decided to slow down the entire movie in an attempt that i might actually understand it instead of just giving me subtitles for languages i don't understand right right i mean at the end of the day it's like this this movie is not you know a box office banger i don't see how it could be because it's again it's not exemplary of movie making it, it it's actually dismissive of all those other languages that's what you're saying it's like the movie's incredibly long, right? The the movie, the and I'm mo- not even against long movies. It's just but I'm saying despite if you're being, going to take the time, you have to put something. No, there. but I'm saying yeah, I'm saying despite being long, very very slowly paced, the transitions are the transitions are a little awkward in the movie. Like if you were to, like if you were to check out for like 20 minutes in the movie. And come back, you know, come back to reality. You wouldn't really know what's going on if you aren't like. You also wouldn't really lose that much at the same time, right? And if you're like sleep deprived, you can't enjoy this movie because 
you have to literally pay attention to everything and try to retain like all of the dialogue because literally the movie is 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 just boiled down to certain aspects of dialogue there's not really anything else going on i think a lot of older movies were like this i would say i think for me if a movie requires me to tap into long-term memory to enjoy it then it's kind of failed at its job yes and no to an extent yeah yes i understand that like there's a certain amount you can ask of me right and i'm willing to give you it's yeah. called my suspension of disbelief Right, and I right. actually, I actually have a pretty high tolerance. You, yeah, for you, a suspension you to, of disbelief. You, yeah, you, you don't talk about that. That's um, right. but it's just like, it comes down to don't waste my time. Like, if you've got this scene, and you've got these four important lines, the script should be written such that those lines are said within two or three minutes, not within twenty minutes. You know, and for me, like. That whole like detour of him like going to Sicily for like thirty minutes just didn't make any sense. It's like it literally stopped the entire story in its well, tracks. Granted, though, a couple of things with that. I mean, but there, I might have missed something. Right. So, so it there are a lot of subtleties in the movie. Which so, is the whole point. Yeah, there are a lot of subtleties in the movie, and again, it, that's a problem. If there's if it's just constant subtlety on subtlety, it's like, listen, I don't want to like burn. You know, 500 calorie, calories subtlety, of like mental work to yeah. just appreciate this when... Subtlety should be an accent point for yes, movies. Yes, the movie is definitely... It's not an accent point. Yeah. So like the Sicily portion of the movie, in my opinion, was thrown in there to touch on the corruption of his innocence. being You know, his innocence being taken away from him. Mainly because the efforts of the other Italian families were were so ridiculous that you know his his girlfriend essentially was killed in collateral damage in their attempt to kill him mm-hmm. where he should have been safe you know what i mean and it was kind of like a wake up call for just what kind of world his father really brought him into cuz like he's he's not like he was inherently this like really kind polite guy mm-hmm. right the son and there, the dealings that ended up having to be, you know, that dragged him into that world slowly forced him to go through this like hazing of bad events and watching people get killed, watching people, you know, yeah. get hurt. And then he had to take on that role. It's weird. It's like. And it, hear, hearing you describe this, like when I watched the movie, I knew from context a little bit about what it was about. But I just didn't get that out of the movie. That's a problem. Like that, I agree with you. That's a problem. It's like if the movie doesn't do that for you, that's a problem. Like I would actually be curious to see someone recut the movie mm-hmm. down by like an hour mm-hmm. and see what happens. And to and it. and try to still invoke that same, you know, that that same kind of. Or those, I would be curious to see what that would do. Right, and I'm sure it could be done. To your point, I'm sure it could be done, which which if I'm if I'm confident that that could be done, then I'm only conceding and saying you're right about the falls of that movie being that it's too long. It's wasting your time. Mm-hmm. Meaning like if a if the if some of the highlights and key points of the movie can be distilled, that means the movie was had a lot of fat 
in it. So, well, yeah, and that's the key point I want to emphasize. It's not that the movie was too long; it's that it wasted my time. Yeah, I, I that's what I meant. I just didn't because like I could watch Endgame and it's the yeah, same Endgame's, length. Yeah, yeah, and it's fucking phenomenal. Didn't feel like three hours. It does. Yeah, it doesn't feel like three hours, and right. you get a lot out of it. It's a very jam-packed. Yeah, Dark Knight Rises movie. is like two hours and fifty minutes. Dark Knight Rises, yeah, it was. Pro- was it really approaching three hours? I think it was two forty-eight or something like that. Son of a bitch. Yeah. So to your point. Yeah. So I mean, these are long movies, but they they use every minute. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wasted in them. Yeah. They they may not even be perfect, but at the very least, they're not really wasting any time. For the most part, I agree with you. And so, like, that's part of the thing is, like, the, the movie has to keep my attention. It has to not not pull me out of the experience, but it also has to pull me into the experience. Like, there's two sides of the same coin there. Mm-hmm. So it's a tough line to, to do. And, and in my opinion, in my opinion, to your point, it's like I could say an athlete from the 70s was the best athlete of all time. But am I saying that because of some, do you know what I mean? Because of some attachment or, you know, whether it be emotional or whatever, you know, just, or nostalgic, um, or am I being, you know, honest with myself? We see that a lot too. It's like, you there's an athlete from the eighties in whatever sport, that's the best of all time. But, you know, his or her craft, his or her sport now is saturated with those kind of like that that athleticism at the time which was like unparalleled Mm -hmm. is like a like an athletic standard so it's funny because i kind of wanted to pivot to a similar point i think you knew that and you just did it for me i didn't no no okay because i wanted to pivot to the point that i think the reason why uh, oh yes why you know a movie like godfather would not it just wouldn't exist today in its state because the writing community in Hollywood is so much better. Yeah, and I would challenge that, you the know, talent the talent is just so much stronger. I would challenge that the style of of the Godfather movie is its weakest point. Like the message was fantastic. The character development was great, but the execution and just the overall style mm-hmm. can be heavily improved upon. Like I'm saying there's that movie is not untouchable. You could definitely get the right cast and make a better version of it. Yeah. Easily. Easily. Yes. Yeah. Now, well, okay, if someone attempted to remake The Godfather, what do you think would happen? Oh fuck. A lot of backlash. And and it came out that it was going to be uh an hour and 57 minutes. Oof. Don't even ask me like who you what the cast would look like. I don't even know. I wouldn't be able to tell you. Yeah. yeah I don't really that, have any Italian characters anymore. Right. We, uh, there'd be, there would be opposition to say the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think it would be a financial success though? Despite that? I think it really depends on the cast. I think it depends on the marketing. Yeah. The well, cast, cast including. Yeah. Tied included, together. Yeah. Definitely. I think we can do anything. I think we've proven we can do anything. Yeah. Um, and it's an old enough movie, though. Yes. Where I think you can definitely it, it would, get it away would with justify it. a remake. I I wouldn't even say that about most movies, mm-hmm. but I think in this case it would justify. Yeah. Oh a remake. yeah. I'd go watch it. I would. I don't short, know. I yeah. just don't know who they would line up for a movie like that. Um, what if it was a remake? Oh, this is gonna get controversial. What if it was a remake that was not Italian mobsters? 
It's a different take. Same story. Okay. Basically, basically the same story, different theme. What if they're like Chinese mobsters instead? Pretty cool. I mean, my question to you is, what would you call? I mean, I, I you think got like Eco Uwes from the raid as the main character. Oh, obviously, no. That would no. The story, <laughs> a bunch of crazy fight scenes. The story doesn't have to be inherent to the Sicilians. It was, I think, it was sexy at the time. Yes, because of the yeah. the um, the dissipation of uh, yeah, the because, time. Yeah, because that's yeah. that's when the mob was basically being rounded up. Exactly. Exactly. That was happening. And there was a romanticized intrigue about how how corporate or no, excuse me, organized crime at that size and level still was founded upon family values. Mm-hmm. That's heavily romanticized. I'm sure the triads or the Yakuza have something similar to that. Okay, okay. Just don't call it Godfather. Call it something else. Now, right? what if it was called the Godfather? I would hope it was called something else. I think you would be... I feel like that would be deliberate invitation for... I think opposition. it would make it more successful. The controversy would bring so much attention that it would become more You're successful. Right. I mean, yeah. Okay. I'm going to make it even more ridiculous. Oh, God. A remake go. of The Godfather. But instead of the Italian Mafia... It's um, uh, it's a pharmaceutical company. <laughs> Same trumpet score. Just... <laughs> like Novartis just like slowly like creeps onto the black screen. <laughs> Just banner health, like from far, slowly being zoomed in on. And we're just like flying through the city and it like pan, pans over like Blue Cross, Blue Shield. <laughs> just drone view. United Health. Yeah, just drone view. Yeah, I'd watch it. Johnson and Johnson. Johnson. Oh, man. Oh, I had a Jesus. feeling that was like going to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Family owned. Yeah. Godfather and family, family owned business. business. <laughs> oh, I'd be there. Oh, and the son, the son just like wants to like go to college and like have fun, like be a hippie, you know, like a modern day hippie, basically. Right. Yeah. And the father's like trying to pull him into the cutthroat world of business. Right. Sanders is like the villain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to end the family business. <laughs> He's deemed a villain. Wow. <laughs> Bernie e- Sanders. Yeah, the evil old the white guy. Jesus Christ, that's phenomenal. Oh, oh shit! No, but real talk, I think it would actually be good as um, with the theme of uh, a cartel. I think that actually that might be the ideal, like the like a pharma cartel or like the cartel. No, like a cartel, a like cartel. A, yeah. yeah, they're not even really cartels anymore. Well, whatever. That's right. a definition question, but it's a semantic. But yes, to your point, yeah. I mean, we could definitely do something with a different, like a Mexican drug cartel. I'm surprised that hasn't... Maybe I'm missing something. Has that been done? That's a good question. I don't think so. Not that kind of story. They have the show, I think, Narcos or whatever. It's yeah. But I don't know what, no, 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 what... Well, that's based on reality, though. That's a... It's... I think it's, like, loosely based on um, the famous drug cartel Escobar? guy. Escobar? Yeah. Pablo? Escobar? I think, yeah. I think so. They definitely have enough material to make it a successful movie. Yeah. So. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think it would also be interesting 
as like a Yakuza oh, tryout because yeah. there's like honor, you know. That's what I'm saying. So I think that could you work have, too. Yeah, you have some similarities. Oh yeah, definitely. I would watch that. Just call it Crazy Rich Asians too. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh my god. Subtitle: They might be crazy, but they definitely rich. Yep. Great, <laughs> crazy richer Asians. Yeah, Al Pacino's the main actor. You're just like what? Al Pacino. <laughs> it's all old and shit. Can't open his eyes. Wow. <laughs> Looks Japanese. Wow. Oh, <laughs> uh, but um. Oh my God. I mean, yeah. I mean, to your point. I mean, to your point. Like I. I don't know. Regarding remakes, like with my. So with my top five, okay, No Country for All Men, it's too new. There will be blood, too new. Million Dollar Baby, mm-hmm. too new. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. I could see them remaking that. I can't say that movie's untouchable. It came out in nineteen seventy fucking five. Wow. You haven't seen it? I still recommend it to you. See an alien remake. Oh yeah. I also I haven't seen um, the most recent. Prom, like the Prometheus, the the sequel to it. I haven't seen it. Uh, I saw parts of it. I heard it didn't do very well. The sequel to Prometheus? Yeah, there was a sequel to Prometheus. I thought so. I don't think so. What was that recent Alien movie that came out? Prometheus. No, there's another one. Um, I didn't know there was another one. Yeah, give me a second. There was a game. No, no, no. So, I believe Prometheus was the prequel to this. All right, I'm going to Google it. Yeah. How long until a Matrix remake becomes a reality or becomes a feasible? Oh, man. What would be the storyline for another Matrix? No, a remake, not a sequel. Oh, a remake. Would you want to rebank? I would be hundred percent against it. Fair enough. It would be tough to remake, though. Maybe a few years from now. Maybe twenty twenty one. Give it the twenty year mark. Is that acceptable? <laughs> oh, Alien Covenant. There you go. Thank you. You're right. That's, that's all right. I forgot about that one. I think everyone did. <laughs> Yeah, it's got a 66% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, it's higher than I thought. I'm not kidding. Yeah. yeah. You saw it, right? I saw like 30% of it. I wasn't impressed with the 30% I saw. I didn't, didn't see it you see it in theaters? No. Oh, I thought you did. No, I wanted to, and then I was told not to go see it by oh. some friends. And unfortunately, I'm sensitive to my friends' feedback, so <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but I would love to see like revisitation of alien and an alien being done yeah right i think it could be really good oh yeah i don't really even like the genre or the movie that well i haven't seen the first alien i've seen prometheus um i like it conceptually though like the yes. art direction and the design is pretty fucking crazy. oh yeah definitely it's a it's a it's a very startling design just by nature, like it just gets you. The xenomorph. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, gets something inside of you. Is it Ridley Scott? 
Yeah. Yeah. I had heard, I hadn't seen, I haven't seen or heard this directly myself, but I had heard that in an interview, really Scott explained some of the, uh, inspirations around the design Mm. and that, um, like innate fear kind of drove some of the characteristics of the alien. One being like the unsettling feeling of rape and that, one of the main objectives of this alien was to not only just be incredibly physically imposing, but to give that unsettling, uncomfortable like uh, feeling to be like invoked in the audience. And so obviously you have this gigantic menacing creature with the like penis, like secondary mouth that would inseminate people Mm -hmm. like orally. Right. And the idea of that was okay. Like not only is it disgusting to watch, but there's also like subliminal messaging, right? Like no one's comfortable with, with what they're watching. Yeah. It's not, you know what I mean? And supposedly that design's deliberate. So yeah, I can see that. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, I mean, it's a pretty creepy, creepy beast. It's definitely up there as far as like creep factor. Yeah. That have ever been designed. Yeah. Also, it's like intelligence and resilience as like part of the nature of the species. Is, it doesn't make anything better. <laughs> yeah. It's it's. If I have one criticism about it, it's that it's too strong. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, it like reflects bullets and shit. Like. Right. It's. It, that's just a little bit too much for me. Yeah. And I, you can make it resilient, but not like full on like impenetrable. That's a little too much for me. Right. It's too much. It becomes cringy almost. Yeah. It, it like taps into your fourth wall breaking criticism of bad writing. Yes. It pulls you, out of, the, like, pulls you out of the moment, right? It's like, then what the fuck do I do? It like, just pulls you out of the moment. Yeah. It pulls yeah. you out of the moment. It's, uh, uh, you know, I think if they multiplied faster and if there were oh, more yeah, of Jesus, them yeah. and they were smaller and they were faster, I would be terrified. Uh, yeah. I think. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I Because... So, I'm going to get into some obscure, well, it's not really obscure. I just, this is not public because I came up with it. Um, I designed a a horror game. I say designed loosely. Designed parts of it. Made a design doc and stuff. Um, where you are sort of like the last survivor on a spaceship. Very similar setup. And you're uh, being chased by an alien creature, largely inspired by the xenomorph. Um, the difference is being, my version is definitely smaller. It's faster. Um, you can hurt it, but it's very resilient. It would take a lot to actually kill it. Um yeah, that's like the main thing, basically. And so the game would revolve around you're trying to survive this creature, of course, and um, it like will like come at you, and you have a you have like a pistol, and you shoot it like five times, and then it runs away, and it like comes back five minutes later, which is like tapping into like just the unsettling ideology of like things that are animalistic. Yeah, things that act like that are creepy because because yes. that's it's like very very not human. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it keeps coming at you over and over and over again. So you don't actually kill it, per se. Actually. You the, can just hurt it and get it, cause it to go away. Right. 
Um, and as you like slowly run out of bullets, yeah. <laughs> it gets more and more terrifying and you got to find bullets. Right. Yeah. That's I mean, that's smart. That's good writing. Um, it's a good design. I, uh, with the game design concepts that I had with my, you know, a good friend of mine, um, from college and no, we never, you know, we never pursued turning any of these into substance. That's how it usually goes. Right. But, um, one of the, one of the, uh, big turning points in the second game was that it turns out that, um, there was ancient knowledge um, discovered like on earth about transformation potential in uh, human, like humans as organisms and that um, like in the right setting, given like the right circumstances, mm-hmm. a human um, out of stress could like transform um, into like a creature that still resembled a human, but it had like, protruding glands out of its neck that could um, pick up enum waves like electromagnetic waves so like humans naturally respond to electromagnetic waves they just don't know it mm-hmm. and like at this like at this transformation stage it actually becomes vital to its its health and some of the application and mechanisms of its abilities and so this thing can like like it knows where you're at. It can pick up like with a pretty good distance. It can pick up where where people or other like moving things are, and it like thrives on EM waves. So it has like radar, basically. Yeah, it thrives on EM waves, and if it if it kills you, and you're like, you know, during the moment like freaking out, you have your adrenaline spike. You're like trying to you know shove it off of you. Like, essentially, if you're if it kills you and you're like in terror it actually like amplifies its energy because like at the, you know, in that moment you're like screaming and moving around and it, mm-hmm. it's just absorbing those waves. Mm. And that's like, it's not a single, it's not a single being. It's actually like just inherent in all humans. That's pretty creepy. So like a bunch of people end up like, there's a scene where a bunch of people end up like turning into them. Um, it's wow. like a mutagenic response. I don't want to talk much about it. Plus, I didn't even move forward with the game. But to your point, I mean, yeah, like it's fun to write some creepy shit sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Just the podcast with Curtis, we talked a lot about that. I said, you know, I don't really like horror movies or horror games experiencing them, but I do like designing them. Weirdly enough, I'm like I 100% agree with you. Like, I don't watch horror movies. I don't play, you know, things like Doom or like um, even The Last of Us. Like I, I've watched it, but like I wouldn't play it myself. I would play The Last of Us. I, I, I think the I writing the was. There. I think the writing was done well. Like yeah. it's actually like pretty Every, fucking interesting. Everyone says the game is amazing. I, if I didn't intend to play it, I would have already watched someone play through it. I watched someone play through all of it, um, but with that exception, like Silent Hill, things like things like that, things in that genre, I wouldn't find myself playing those granted i get inspired to you know want to design a game and or like co-write a story mm-hmm. in that genre i think it'd be, it'd be fun yes i so, agree i think it's thrilling so, yeah yeah but all right well we've done a little over an hour and a half i think oh really yeah so i think uh, this is a good place to i agree to end it's always a pleasure don't yeah. let this corrupt oh jesus hopefully not <laughs> 
I'm going to save it back up this time. So. Awesome. All right. Until next week. See you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Spy Pie After Dark. If you enjoyed the episode, consider rating or subscribing on whatever platform you're on. We'd really appreciate it. Next week, I talk to my friend and fellow member of the OG trio, Frank Hogan Jr., about movies and comics and all kinds of fun stuff. If you'd like to be notified of that episode, you can follow me on Twitter at MillenTweets. That's M-I-L-L-A-N Tweets. See you next week.